Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. No doubt you've heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger before. It brings to mind that some people are the bearers of bad news that are not, uh, news that are, is not particularly pleasant to hear, but the news that they deliver isn't necessarily a result of the messenger's actions. Right? They're simply reporting. The phrase, don't shoot the messenger, is to say, look, don't treat the bearer of bad news as if they were to blame for it. Don't shoot the messenger. Have you used that phrase before? Maybe you've needed to break news that a a beloved family event was canceled and that uh, members of your family were none too happy with you and they let you know. Maybe, maybe you needed to tell a friend that, well, their significant other was acting inappropriately with someone else, and that friend then took out their frustrations on you. Or maybe you've just witnessed uh, a clerk in a shopping center asking, you know, uh, a customer to put on a mask, and the customer ended up raging at the clerk for asking the question. Don't shoot the messenger, right? It's a sad curiosity that this phrase actually exists. I mean, the fact that someone has uttered this phrase reveals something about human nature. It reveals that we don't like to hear news that we would think is bad. It reveals that our natural inclination is to lash out in anger at those who bring bad news to our ears. And really, I think it reveals just how subjective the term bad news really is. I mean, after all, let's face it, is a clerk asking a shopper to wear a mask really something to get so angry about? Don't shoot the messenger. I wonder if there would be a a first century equivalent to this saying, and if so, was John the Baptist uttering it? Listen to his message again. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Do you get an impression that John is throwing his hands up in the air and saying, don't shoot the messenger? I don't either. In fact, I'd say John is proclaiming this message with courage and conviction to borrow from our guiding statement. The question is, I suppose, is this good news or is this bad news? That depends, I suppose, on on how you're hearing it. For the crowds, for the tax collectors, for the soldiers... It seems as if they took it as a sign of love, stern and commanding, but a demonstration of love nonetheless. God plans to visit wrath upon the sinner. And here, John is calling these sinners to repentance. He is calling them to repent according to their stations in life. He is calling them to repent of the sins against God that would 
be most tempting in their vocations. For those who have, it's tempting to keep their mammon instead of sharing it with those who have not. For those who collect tax, it's tempting to collect extra and pad their own pockets at the expense of others. For the soldier, it's tempting to misuse their authority for personal gain. But in all situations, it's tempting to love yourself over loving your neighbor. Now, those in the crowd that day received this as a stern and commanding warning, but ultimately as an expression of love and good news that they might flee from the wrath of God to come. But that's not how everyone received the message. We know that various members of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees heard John's proclamation as bad news, as did Herod the Tetrarch. John called Herod and Herodias to repent as well. They had made a mockery of what God had intended for marriage, among other things, and they were just fine with their decisions. They were secure in their sin. Herod took his brother's wife as his own, and he showed absolutely zero remorse over it. John called them to repent. He warned them concerning God's wrath over their sin. He was crystal clear in his message. What was intended for their ultimate good, well, they took as bad news. And rather than repent, Herod had John locked up and thrown into prison. Don't shoot the messenger. No, don't shoot him. Just cut off his head. So what to do? I mean, should John kept his mouth shut? Should he have held his tongue so that he wouldn't offend anyone with his message? Should John have remained silent? Well, it's often said that silence is complicity. You hear that more and more these days uh, among groups that are calling for social justice, right? Well, if the saying is true, then it's universally true, not just for social justice, but for all things. Listen to how the, the scriptures phrase it. This is from the words of the Lord spoken to Ezekiel, the prophet. The Lord says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, well, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and remains silent so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But the blood, his blood, I will require at the watchman's hand. God's word is clear. Silence is complicity. Not just about social justice issues, but about all forms of sin. So John, John does not remain silent. Nor the prophets who were before him. He and those who were before him were God's messengers, speaking God's word of warning, but always motivated by love. 
That's why God sent them, after all. God loves his creation. He knows the damning effects of sin. He knows the separation that death brings. He knows that people were created in his image to live forever, forever, either with him or apart from him. And I tell you, God does not desire the death or the separation of the sinner or that any would perish. He has no desire to see what he created in love destroyed. And so out of love, God speaks through the prophets, calling people to repent. And John is a faithful prophet as he calls for bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. He calls for a change in in hearts, in minds, and in actions. Turn away from the, the evil inclinations of your heart and turn to the will of the living Lord. Turn away from the path that leads to to death and to destruction and walk in the way of life. There is only one way to do this, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is to live in faith to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Live in faith to the Lord's anointed, his Messiah, the Christ. Now see, John was not only calling for repentance of sin, he was calling for a life of faith. His message pointed to the Messiah. And no, John was not he. John was called to prepare people to receive the Christ. He was called to speak of Jesus' eminent arrival. He was called to speak of the Messiah's marvelous work. John faithfully said and humbly said, Look, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. To the Jordan came Christ our Lord. The Messiah arrived at the Jordan and was baptized by John. And there began his marvelous work. Jesus came to fulfill the words of the prophets, for he was always the content of their preaching. In fact, when Jesus comes, when Jesus preaches, and when Jesus teaches, his message is the same of the prophets in the past. Repent. It's as if Jesus says, Look, I love you too much to be silent about your sin. I must speak and I must act. My love for you compels me. You are accused of adultery? Well, go. (laughs) Sin no more. Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in that tree? Come down from there. I'm coming to your house today. Why, yes, giving back all that you have and that you've cheated and and more, well, that is a good fruit of repentance. See, Jesus' love is displayed in all that he says and all that he does for those around him, even when he's calling people to repentance, even when he's calling the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees to repentance. Though his words may be harsh, Woe to you, Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered Jesus, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. I am offended. He said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your father, for they have killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world, may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. The wrath to come. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourself, and you hindered those who are entering. And then we read that Jesus goes away from there, And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to press him hard and provoke him to speak many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. Don't shoot the messenger? No. Just crucify him. But you see, that was the plan all along. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The son, the Messiah, would suffer and die in order to save all of creation. Jesus would embody the love of God for his creation. He was willingly baptized by John to bear our sin to bear our guilt, to bear our shame. As the Holy Spirit descended upon him and the voice from heaven declared, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. See, all that Jesus did from that point on led to the cross where he gave his life for yours. He took your adultery, your idolatry, your greed and gossip, your covetousness, and your callousness, and he had it put to death with him on the cross. The wrath of God was coming, but look, it's being poured out on the Christ and not on you. The cross, the tree of death, on whose branches hung the author of life. The crucified Christ was buried in the ground. And on the third day, Jesus was alive. Alive never to die again. And the cross now becomes transformed into a tree of life. For God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Repent. Believe. Repent of your sin. 
Believe in the work of the Son on your behalf. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Baptized by the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ, bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you have heard the message faithfully proclaimed, well, with courage and conviction, speak it in your households in like manner. Share it in your vocations to which the Lord has called you. Your hands need not be thrown up in a don't-shoot-the-messenger pose. No, love your neighbor as yourself. Humble yourself. Examine yourself. Remove the plank from your eye, but help them to see the speck in theirs. Speak and act in love for your neighbor by demonstrating always a life of repentance and faith. Do not remain silent. And as you do, I pray that you remember Jesus' words. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and be glad in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Take heart. Proclaim and practice God's love with conviction and courage in your vocations. For great is your reward in heaven. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ guard our hearts and our minds until our Lord's coming. Amen.